Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see all of y'all here this morning. You may look around and say, you know, it looks a little light here this morning. Well, that's because we have 100, about 150 people up in Hilton Head right now for a marriage conference. Uh, David and I are the only staff still here. <laughs> Not bitter about it. I've been praying for that marriage conference all week long. <laughs> That's why it's cold and rainy in Hilton Head. <laughs> no, I hope that they're having a good time. Anyway, uh, let's, let's say our confession about this book, God's Word, together. If you hold it up and repeat after me, this is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author. Salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Well, this morning we're going to be in John chapter 4, right after the story of the Samaritan woman that Rocky preached about last week. Before we get into that story, let me ask you a question. How do we measure love? Now, we can measure everything from uh, uh, the speed of light uh, to the number of bacteria on a little slide glass thing under the microscope. We just can measure so much. How do you measure love? I've had someone tell me they've made a dessert for me, and I say, ooh, this is so good. What's in it? And they say, I made it with love. <laughs> I said, how much did you put in there? Just a pinch? Or did you put a full cup? My grandkids and my kids, when I had them at home, I used to always say to them, like I say, now how much does Poppy love you? And they would go, this much. Yeah, y'all probably do the same thing. But how much is, is this much? How do, you, how do you measure love? I'm sure if I asked everybody here, like, do you love Jesus? Everyone here would say, I think, I'm pretty sure, about 100% would say, yeah, I love Jesus. But how do you measure that? Now, interestingly enough, Jesus actually gave us a way to, to kind of measure that. Did you know that? Now, he said, and you can probably finish this for me, if you love me, then obey my commands. So we could kind of look at our degree of our love by comparing it to the degree of our obedience. We're about to beat a man in John chapter 4 who has a terrific problem, but he's about to meet Jesus. Jesus, the King of Kings. Jesus, the Lord of Lords. Jesus, the Son of God. He's about to meet him, and that is going to change everything. He's going to go on a journey to obedience that Jesus is going to take them on. And I'm hoping that for some of you here this morning that you'll go on that, that same journey. Well, let's start by looking at that story in John chapter 4. It starts in verse 43, and it goes to the end of the chapter. It says, at the end of the, of the uh, two days, Jesus went on to Galilee. He had come out of Samaria, and he is now into Galilee. He himself said that a prophet is not honored in his own hometown. And commentaries have tried to dis 
figure out what Jesus meant by the hometown, but many of them have come to the belief that he was speaking of Israel. He had come from Judea, where he was not accepted by the leaders. He's now in Galilee, where he's welcomed, but he's welcomed not as the Son of God, but as a miracle worker. And so that really that, that Jesus is saying that he's not welcome in his nation. Jesus was a Jew, that he was, that he was not uh, honored in his nation. Yet the Galileans, it says, welcomed him. Now they welcomed him for they had seen in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration and had seen everything he did there. He traveled through Galilee. He came to Cana where he had turned the water into wine and there was a government official in nearby Capernaum. When it says nearby, it's about 20 miles, okay? Whose son was very sick. And when he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. Now, I have to admit to you, when I first read this story, Jesus' response kind of floored me. And I really had to study and look into it. But Jesus asked, will you never believe in me unless you see miracle, miraculous signs and wonders? The official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. Then Jesus told him, go back home. Your son lives. Your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said and started home. And while the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them when the boy had begun to get better. And they replied, yesterday afternoon at one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. Then the father realized that that was the very time Jesus had told him, your son will be your son will live. And he is in, in his entire household, entire household believed in Jesus. This was the second miraculous sign Jesus did in Galilee after coming from Judea. Well, this man had a, a uh, situation that was very difficult. But what Jesus was about to do with him was take him on a pathway to obedience where he would learn who Jesus was and his responsibility to obey him. We're going to see in this story really four phrases that I'll be showing with you that kind of lead this man on the pathway to obedience. And the first one is overwhelming passion. Overwhelming passion. Have you ever felt such passion for something that you would give anything, anything for it? Or have you ever had such passion for someone that literally you would give everything you have? You would, in fact, you would die for this person because you love them so much. This is a love that is an unselfish love that is not based on self. You would give up self for this passion, for this person. And that's where I believe this government official was. His son was sick, but not only sick, was close to death. And he had an overwhelming passion for his son. And really obedience begins there. There has to be a passion outside of ourselves. I find sometimes when we read these Bible stories, and so I can even say this was true with me when I first read this passage, uh, that we sometimes read too hurriedly through the passage. You know what I mean? I mean, sometimes we really need to, to really think about what's going on here with this dad and this mom that's not mentioned, but this family of this boy. You know, it probably started, maybe he wasn't hungry. Maybe he skipped a meal and just didn't feel right. Or maybe he had a slight fever. And that's not, you know, odd with children. That happens a lot. And they put him to bed and say, surely when he wakes up in the morning, everything will be okay. But it wasn't okay. 
the concern level rises a little bit. Of course, he's a government official. He's got some power. He's got some wealth. Probably for that time, had about the best health care possible. So he gets the doctors in and to look at his, his boy, and, and, uh, and they do their their potions, their herbs, whatever they do to try to, to heal this boy. And they're thinking as the doctors are looking at him that certainly this is it. He'll get better after this. And nothing. He gets worse. To the point that that, that cold, icy hand of death is wrapping its grip around him and here is this government official with so much power so much wealth and there is absolutely nothing he can do but watch his son's life slowly ebb away but someone and we don't know who (laughs) comes by to the official and says hey Jesus You've heard about Jesus. He's in Cana. And he did a lot of miracles in Jerusalem. Maybe, maybe he could heal your son. Maybe he could do it. And all of a sudden, in the midst of that darkness, there's a spark of hope that comes up. And this man, and I'll give this man credit, he didn't send a servant. He went himself to Jesus Christ. I don't know whether he walked, maybe he was, had a horse, but he did that entire 20 miles to get to Jesus. He cleared his calendar. He's probably a busy man, government official. But he cleared his calendar to go see Jesus. 20 miles, no problem. He comes to Jesus and pleads with him. He pleads with him. And then Jesus, I mean, look at what he says. He says, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? Now, does that, does that not seem just a little crass to you? <laughs> I mean, here's my Jesus. The Jesus I expect is to say, yes, you poor man, I will come right now. And I will touch your son and heal. That's, that's what I expect. But this, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? Well, first of all, I want to get a couple of things clear so that you understand. Because as I study this passage, first of all, I realize is that the you there in verse 48, you see where it says you? That's a plural you. So if Jesus were in Texas, he would have said, will y'all, right? Okay, will y'all never believe in me? He was talking to the whole crowd. Because see, he knew that crowd. See, they were, they had a, um, what's it called? A casual interest in Jesus. A casual interest in Jesus. And so they were, they, they wanted to see the miracle worker. They wanted to see the faith healer, right? And so, man, they, they welcomed him because, man, if anyone put on a good show, it was Jesus. And so this man comes, and he knows their hearts. He knows their thoughts, what they're thinking. In fact, if you go back to Jerusalem in John chapter 2, Jesus is doing this mir- these miracles, and, and look at what it says here. In John chapter 2, now you've got to realize these Galileans were in Jerusalem. They saw all this. And so going backwards in time, 
Verse 23 in chapter 2 says, Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust him. Began. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. See, he knew what was going on. He knew their acceptance of him was based upon the show that he was producing, based upon the miracles that they would see. If they were, if Jesus were to call them out (laughs) to complete obedience, they would probably walk away. In fact, if you go down a few chapters later, John chapter 6, you find out that most of the people following Jesus left. They left him because he spoke like they didn't want him to speak. He didn't act like they wanted him to act. See, we like to follow Jesus as long as he dances to the tune that we're playing, right? The minute that we hit hardship, the minute that we lose our job, the minute that the health of someone gets worse or that someone dies, we say, that's it. That's enough. You've probably heard it said, I know I've heard it said before, if this is the way the Heavenly Father treats His children, I don't need it. And it's based upon a life that wants to be lived in comfort without uh, obligation or surrender to the authority of Jesus Christ. If obedience causes discomfort, then forget about it. If I have to rearrange my priorities in order to be obedient to Jesus Christ, forget it. I mean, we pray thy kingdom come, but just don't come during the SEC championship, right? Give us this day our daily bread, and I want it with butter and blackberry jam all over the top. We want things the way we want them, and we can't take a casual interest in Jesus Christ We have to be dedicated and devoted to him that he is the supreme authority. You see, what he was saying there, when he read that passage, let me just read it again to you because it's very important. He says, will you never believe? Believe what? Will you never believe in me, in who I am, that I am the supreme authority? Believe in me. Not not believe that I can do signs, not believe the miracles, but believe in me and who I am. I am Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. I am the supreme authority. See, the Jews were always uh, asking him questions about his authority. Like They would ask him, by what authority do you do these things? Even Pilate asked Jesus this question. He says, are you a king then? To which Jesus answered, says, yes, I am a king. To the Jews, he said, yes, and I, you will see me one day coming in the clouds of glory. At the right hand of the power, I will be coming back. Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. He says, before Abraham was, I am. Trying to explain to them who he was, but all they wanted to see was a miracle worker, someone who would make life easier, someone who would make some entertainment for them. And Jesus wasn't going to allow that. And for this man, he had to believe in who Jesus was. And Jesus was bringing him to that point. And so Jesus makes that statement. Now, do you think the man got it? I think he did. I think he did because the next statement you see there, The official pleaded, verse 49, look at this. The official pleaded, what's that next word? Lord. The official pleaded, Lord. He hadn't said that word before. But now, 
After Jesus makes that statement, he goes, I know who you are. You are Lord. This is the Greek word there for Lord is kurios. It's the same one that's used in the scripture. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, our kurios, our Lord. And he starts off by saying, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. He was getting it. Now, he, he, doesn't get, he doesn't have it completely, does he? He's still thinking that Jesus has to be there, right? That, that Jesus has to be amongst us. He's got to touch him. That's why I can't stand some of these faith healers that we see on TV. Like, you gotta be, like if someone says you've got to be pout on the top of your forehead to be healed, run as fast as you can. Jesus doesn't have to be touch you to heal you. All he has to do is speak the word because he is the supreme authority. But Jesus is about to take him to another level because he says to him, go back home, your son will live. Now, he doesn't, he doesn't do what the man wants, but yet he does what the man wants, right? He wants him to come. See, we want Jesus to do what we want him to do. and That's never how it's going to work. It's never going to work that way. If you haven't come to the point of total and full surrender to Jesus Christ, then your life will never be what Jesus meant it to be. But you have to surrender to him. And so when he, he comes to Jesus, he says, please come with me. Jesus says, no, but go, your son lives. He began to recognize Jesus as the supreme authority. But now Jesus put, put something before him that was going to be difficult. So it would have been easier if Jesus said, okay, let's go. But he didn't. He says, go, your son lives. Now, as far as I know, he didn't tell, the, tell Jesus the boy's address, even the boy's name. I mean, as far as we know, yet Jesus, I don't even know that Jesus even pointed in that direction of Capernaum. He just simply said, go, your son lives. So he has a decision to make. Does he believe Jesus? I mean, can you imagine him going back and the mom, desperate, comes out the door? Did you bring him? Did you bring him? He's almost dead. And what that would be like? But instead, he believed, it says he believed what Jesus said. Now, how do we know that he believed Jesus? How do we know that? I mean, obviously it says it here, but how do we know they truly believe what Jesus said? Because, stay with me now, he obeyed. Jesus said, go. He went. It's that simple, isn't it? That's pretty simple. Jesus says, obey. We say, yes, sir. And that's what he did. He went. And so not only did he recognize now the supreme authority of Jesus, that Jesus didn't have to be there. He just has to speak the word. See, Jesus revealed himself into another level. And as you obey, Jesus reveals himself to you more and more and more. But he revealed himself at another level that he didn't have to be there. All he has to do is speak the word and the healing will happen. And he believed, and that's shown by his, he had an active faith. See, it's not just believing about but it's believing such that results in obedience. He had an act of faith. He obeyed. Let me try to explain the difference maybe to you about the difference between just believing and faith, you know. So, like, if someone came to me and said, Steve, do you believe that if a man with a parachute jumps out of a plane 
at 10,000 feet that uh, with the use of that parachute, he will land safely on the ground. And I would tell you, yes, I believe it. But do I have faith? Do I have faith in the parachute? No, I don't. Because I'm telling you right now, before God is my witness, if I'm on a plane at 10,000 feet with a parachute on my back, I ain't jumping. <laughs> now, I, do I believe that parachute? Yeah, but I'm not jumping. I don't have faith in that parachute. Do you get what I mean? And so a lot of times people believe about Jesus, but they don't have faith. This man, he was brought to a crisis of faith, whether he was going to actually believe enough to obey. And he obeyed. He had a decision to make. Did he believe Jesus? Can Jesus command sickness away from 20 miles away to leave a boy's body? Yes, he can. When I was first writing this, I was talking, instead of just putting active faith, I was going to say, I was going to put there in the outline, overwhelming faith. That's what I was going to put there. But then it's like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, no, Steve, that's not overwhelming faith. That's normal faith. That's normal. You believe what I say. <laughs> that, that, that's not overwhelming. That's normal. Now, you may be saying, well, man, if I was there, if I was in that situation, I'd have believed. When Jesus said, go, I'd have gone. I would have believed him. But you're not in that situation. It's too bad, right? Because then we could really test it. If only we had a command in the Bible somewhere that told us to go. Then we could test it, right? I think some of you already figured out where I'm going. <laughs> yeah. It's, in fact, one of the last commands in the Gospels that Jesus gave to the church right before he ascended up into heaven. And what was it? Go. Go, right? And make disciples. Now, do you believe in that? Well, I think I get about 100% yes. But then the question is, do you have faith in that? That's a whole different question, isn't it? Well, those same things that helped that man, that government official to obey Jesus, are the same things that will help us. So let's look at that. First of all, you have to have an overwhelming passion for people. You have, to, you have to have a passion for people, for others, outside yourself, right? We, it's easy to think about us. It's much more difficult to think about others, but you need to have an overwhelming passion for people, and especially for those who are lost, who don't know Christ, because what state are they in? Well, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says this, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. So, in fact, to be lost is to be spiritually dead. Do you get what I'm saying? Dead, man. The, the nobleman's boy was sick. Those who are without Christ are dead. The son needed to be healed. The lost need a resurrection. And there's only one person that could say this. I am the resurrection and the life. And that is Jesus Christ. And we need to bring people to him. And we need to have a passion for them. People don't die and go to hell number two there's one hell and it's awful and we don't want people to go there we have a love for them that Jesus Christ gives us to have for them and so we share with them Jesus who is the resurrection and the life Paul had a passion God used Paul to reach the known world at that time with the gospel 
How was he able to do that? Let me tell you, because he had a passion for people. Listen to his words. Let me just share them with you. Romans 10.1, he says this, Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. What did he want for his own people more than anything else? Was that they be saved. That is a man with passion. But that doesn't show it nearly as clearly as this next scripture. In Romans 9, he says, with, with Christ as my witness, okay? With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. Now listen to this. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ if that would save them. That is a man with passion, a passion for people. In fact, he writes in 1 Corinthians, he goes, even though I'm free, I'm a free man, no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. Later on in that same passage, he says, when I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Do you, do you get the passion? Do you get the passion there? Do you have that passion for people, a love for them? His passion wasn't just to make converts, but it was to make disciples. It says, go and make converts. No, it says, go and make disciples. Well, they've got to be saved before they become a disciple. But listen to what he writes in, to the church in Galatia. He says, oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. And they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. That's what I want to see for you. I want to see Christ fully developed in your life. I want to see him fully developed in my life. You must have an overwhelming passion for people. But not only that, you must have an overwhelming passion for Christ, not just a casual interest. Again, listen to Paul's heart as he writes these words in Philippians. I once thought these things were valuable. Now, what he's talking about is all the things he had as an esteemed Pharisee, going up through the ranks of the Pharisee world. He was up at the top. He says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared, compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Do you think he has a passion for Jesus? Everything in his life, he considers garbage. His money in his account, his home, his tent, or whatever else he had, he considered it garbage compared to Jesus Christ. And become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith. I really believe him, faith in Christ, for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ. I want to experience his mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. That is a man with passion. Passion for lost people and a passion for Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, you need to have that passion to follow me, no matter what. That you will follow him. 
No matter the cost, I will follow him. In fact, in John 14, 21 is where Jesus said these words, those who accept my commandments and, what is it? Obey. Obey. You get that? It's not just hearing his commandments. It's not just knowing his commandments, but it's obeying them. The ones who obey are the ones who love me. How do you measure your love for Jesus Christ? By your obedience to him. Do you think Jesus has a passion for lost souls? He wants you to have that same passion. His passion was so great that he suffered the worst death that man could even come up with on the cross so that lost souls could be saved, so that you could be saved. You're here right now because of the passion of Christ, and he wants you to take that passion out there. Tell people about him. Disciple them so they'll reach others for Jesus Christ. But to do that, you must submit to his supreme authority. Now, before Jesus, before Jesus said, go and make disciples, he said something else. He said, right before that, he said something. You know what it is? Well, let me tell you. I'll break the anticipation. Jesus said this. He said, all authority. He said, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. That's what he said. Right after that, he said, therefore, go and make disciples. In other words, he was saying, hey, I've got all authority, therefore, go and make disciples. In other words, I'm the boss, I'm the master, I'm the king of kings, I'm the Lord of lords, and this is what I want you to do, to be obedient to me. Go and make disciples. Jesus told the nobleman, go, he went. Jesus tells us to go, he tells the church to go and make disciples. But do we consider him the supreme authority? See, the thing is, is that if we do, that means you are no longer the authority. It's not your comfort that's important. It's not what you want that's important. It's not what pleases you that's so important. It's what pleases him. He takes that role of king in your life. He sits on the throne of your life and no longer you. And there's a cost to it. And most of the time, or many times, we don't want to pay the cost when we see what it is. Jesus was saying this to to the crowd in, in in the Gospel of Luke, he says, if any of you wants, wants to be my follower, now get this, if you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily. The cross, it was a tool of execution. It means we must die to our own selfish interests daily. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Now, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. That's when life has purpose. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. If you follow Christ, hear this, if you follow Christ, then your comfort, your schedule, your life will not be your priority. You will give up your life, your your dreams, your desires, all For the sake of Christ, he means more than anything to you. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven was like a a treasure in a field that a man found. He found this treasure in a field. And that this treasure was so awesome that he went and emptied his bank account, sold his home, gave it all so that he could buy this field where the treasure is. Is the kingdom of heaven that important to you? Jesus said that's what the kingdom of heaven is really like. He said, but I got a life, man. I got a life, I got to live, I got a mortgage, I got kids, all their activities, football, basketball, baseball, 
shuffleboard, pickleball. We're doing it all, man. And we got to do it all. But then Jesus says this, if you love your father or mother more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. This is not to say that we don't care for our parents or our children. We love them, of course we do. But it's a matter of priority. It's a matter of priority. You obey Jesus first. Look, man, when you, when you get to heaven, when your children get to heaven, do you know seriously how little Jesus will care about their little league record? He won't. It's what have they done for the kingdom? How have they lived for me? In eternity, you know what? That's all that's going to matter. That's all that's going to matter. When Tom Brady meets Jesus, he's not going to say, let me see those Super Bowl rings. He's not going to say it. The truth is, this time is a time for us to live for him. This time, this life. You're drawing breath into your lungs. This time, this life needs to be lived for him fully. Which leads us, oh, Jesus asked this question. I'm sorry, I got to. Why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Ouch. Which leads to our last point. You must have a faith that obeys. Like this man had. He had faith, not just belief, faith that obeyed. Now, in the epistle of James, there's a great question that's asked in James 2.14. Here's the question. You ready? What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? It's a good question, isn't it? So we go down a few verses, and thankfully, James gives us the answer. In verse 26, just, he says, as the body is dead without breath, so also is faith dead without good works. Good works don't lead to faith, okay? But faith will always lead to good works because we have a desire to obey him. In other words, do you believe in the parachute enough to jump out of the plane? Do you believe in Jesus enough that what he says is true and that it's real, that you're willing to obey him no matter the cost? Let me ask you some questions that may help you on that pathway to obedience. First one is, do you have an overwhelming passion for people. Do you? If not, ask God to give you a heart like his that loved people so much, that loved you so much that he was willing to die for them. Next, do you have an overwhelming passion or do you simply have a casual interest for Christ? Which is it? Are you following him as long as it's convenient? As long as things go your way? Are you committed? You're all in, no matter what. Do you believe that Jesus has all authority? In other words, are you willing to remove yourself 
from the throne of your life. No longer living your life based simply on what pleases you, but to live your life based on what pleases Jesus Christ. And the next last question, do you have a faith that obeys? question might be that you could ask yourself is who am I discipling? It says go and make disciples. Well, I say who am I discipling? If that answer is no one or maybe just your kids or, you know, then maybe you need to think about I need to knuckle down and I need to get to obedient to Jesus in this area. You say, well, I don't know how. Well, let me tell you something. What is the absolute joy of my life? is being able to share with you how you can make disciples. If you right now are saying, Steve, I am convinced, I am committed, I want to go and make disciples, but I don't even know how to take the first step, this is what I want you simply to do. There's a little connect card in the back, and you just put your name, some way I can get in hold of you, and put, just write on there, disciple. So put, just write on there, disciple, anywhere. I'll find it, and I will call you. I guess I should probably warn of something. <laughs> it, it, it won't be easy. It's not like taking a class. Oh, no, no, no. It's, there will be expectations. I mean, you will have to actually do, you know, obey. That's tough. You know, it'll be uncomfortable. I'm telling you, it'll be uncomfortable. Uh, it, it may even be embarrassing sometimes. It's going to take you definitely out of your comfort zone, but there is where you meet Jesus. And if that's something you want to do, just write your name, number, whatever. Write disciple on there. Drop it in one of those boxes in the back. I'll get it. There's nothing I enjoy better than that. But maybe you're here and you say, you know that relationship that you were talking about, you know, where you really know Jesus? Well, here's the thing. I know about him, but I can't say that I have a relationship with him. That, that's my really, I think that's my first step because I just, all I know is about him, right? But I really want to know him. I want to know him. I want to get beyond religion, just the showing up every Sunday for something and me not even know what's going on. But I want to know the living Savior once and for all. I want to drive a stake in the ground and say, today's the day that I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I surrendered it to him. And from this point forward, I'm living for him. If that's you, then I want you just with me to share the desire of your heart with God. We'll, we're going to say a prayer. You just say it right after me. And remember, these aren't magic words. You mean it from your heart to God. But I promise you this, God hears that prayer every time. But pray it from your heart to God. So what I want you to do is every eye, eye closed, every head bowed right now. Everybody, don't looking around. And if that's you, you want to drive that stake in the ground this morning, then you pray with me. Heavenly Father, I admit that I am a sinner. And I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And that he rose again the third day. And at this very moment, I surrender my life to Jesus Christ. And I want to obey him and follow him all my life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Now, keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed. If you just prayed that prayer, everyone, no one looking around. If you just prayed that prayer, raise your hand. Okay, I see a couple in the right seat. Okay, great, a couple of you prayed. I see you in the back. Praise God. Now, I want to ask you another question. This one's going to get a little bit tougher. Again, no one looking around. This one's going to be much, much tougher for some of you. But it's going to be an illustration of how hard it is to truly sometimes make that commitment to obey. Last week, Rocky challenged us, didn't he? That if you hadn't written your testimony down, write it down, three minutes or less. And then he says, I want you to share it with one person this week. If you, no one looking around, if you shared your testimony with that one person this week, I want you to raise your hand right now. Okay, I see about 15 to 20 people. Can't count all those in the balcony. It's not easy, is it? I was challenged by that sermon. God allowed me the opportunity to share with Mandy and I'm still praying for her that she'll come to Christ. But here's the thing is that discipleship, obedience I should say, is not easy. But if you are willing to surrender and to be obedient, there's also nothing on this entire earth more fulfilling than serving and living for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Creator, the Supreme Authority, that you can live for Him and you can serve Him. What a blessing. What a joy. You don't have to live for yourself. Man, that ends in just nothingness. (laughs) But to live for the King of Kings, that's a life. That's a life worth living. So this morning, The invitation is this. One, if you prayed that prayer to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, then I want you to come tell me because you need to grow in Christ, right? Uh, Christ needs to be formed in you, and I want to help you with that. But the invitation is also this. Maybe you know how to make disciples, and you've been distracted, and you just haven't been doing whatever. Who knows? This morning, you just want to come to the altar, and you want to say, Lord, this is it. I do believe you. I do have faith. This morning, I'm stepping out of the plane, wherever it takes me. But I want to follow you. Then this altar is open for you. Maybe you have something going on in your life, like this government official had. Maybe there's someone that needs healing. Maybe you need healing. Maybe you have a problem with the job. Who knows? Whatever it is, you know you can cast all your burdens on the Lord, knowing that he cares for you. This altar is open for you as well. But what I want us to do if everyone would stand now. I want us to stand and pray, and then we're going to sing. And during this invitation song, if the Holy Spirit is moving you to come, take your first step of obedience this morning and do that. Heavenly Father, thank you for each person here. And God, I am praying that you would help each and every one of us to be obedient to you, the King of Kings, to go to make disciples, 
to live for you. Lord, I pray for those here who for the first time surrendered their life to Christ. God, I pray that they would grow in Christ. For those now, Lord, who are saying, I want to give it all to you, they would, be, they would do that this morning. They would not hold back. Or Lord, for any other reason, Lord, meet needs this morning. Touch hearts. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You come as we sing.